Hi, Tony Thaxton here. Before I get into the show today, just real quick announcement. October 18th, this coming Friday, the first ever live Bizarre Albums podcast. It's part of a show called Podcast Party in the Los Angeles area. It's going to be Bizarre Albums, Dunktown, and FPRK Radio all doing Podcast Party. Each of us do 15-minute versions of the, our podcasts, and this one's kind of already about 15 minutes, so perfect. Uh, this is happening at the Pack Theater on Santa Monica Boulevard. It is at 8 p.m., you can reserve a seat for free on Eventbrite. If you need the link to all this stuff, just be following at Bizarre Albums on Twitter and Instagram. You can find those links there. And I hope to see you there. The show is pay what you can. So just at the door, give them a little bit of cash if you want. You can even Venmo them. That's it. See you there. Let's get into the show. Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums. Today's episode, Leonard Nimoy presents Mr. Spock's Music from Outer Space from 1967. Pan Am Flight 121 took off from Karachi, India on June 18, 1947. The final destination was to be Istanbul. About five hours into the flight, the plane suffered an engine failure which caused the plane to catch fire. The plane crashed in the Syrian desert on the morning of June 19th. The number of passengers who died seemed to vary depending on the source. Three of the ten crew members on the flight survived. The flight's third officer, Gene Roddenberry, suffered only bruises and a few broken ribs. He went back into the burning plane to pull out the surviving passengers helping 22 people survive the crash. Prior to working for Pan Am, Roddenberry flew with the U.S. Army Air Corps. This was the third plane crash that he had survived. After resigning from Pan Am in 1948, Roddenberry took a job at the Los Angeles Police Department. He spent his first 16 months in the traffic division before he was eventually transferred to the newspaper unit. It was during this time that he also started writing speeches for the police chief, William H. Parker. Parker has been called by some Los Angeles' greatest and most controversial chief of police. Also during this time, Roddenberry became friends with Don Ingalls. The two shared an office and also a desire to become writers. Ingalls eventually resigned from the LAPD to focus on writing. Roddenberry stayed, but also began writing for television while still working for the LAPD. In 1956, he found it becoming hard to be a writer on top of his LAPD job, so he resigned from the police department in June. In 1957, Roddenberry started writing for the Western Have Gun, Will Travel. Eventually, he recommended his friend Don Ingalls to be story editor. During this time, Roddenberry started developing a new television show. He sent Ingalls a series outline, but asked him to keep it very, very confidential. By March of 1964, he finally had a pitch ready. In April, he sent three copies and two dollars to the Writers Guild of America to register his series. He called it Star Trek. Space, a final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. On September 6, 1966, Star Trek debuted on CTV in Canada. And two days later, 
It made its American television debut on NBC. Taking place in the 23rd century, the show followed the adventures of the starship USS Enterprise. Its crew, led by Captain James T. Kirk, played by William Shatner, Chief Medical Officer Leonard McCoy, played by DeForest Kelly, and First Officer and Science Officer Spock, played by a 35-year-old Leonard Nimoy, who had already been acting since the late 1940s. In this 1966 interview, Nimoy discusses his career up to that point and how he met Gene Roddenberry. Uh, I played a, uh, a film producer, a film actor producer, on, a, on an episode of The Lieutenant Show, mm-hmm. which was produced by Gene Roddenberry, who then created Star Trek and, and had me in mind as a result of The Lieutenant thing for Mr. Spock. When Star Trek premiered, westerns were still huge on American television. There hadn't really been anything like Star Trek on TV before then, and certainly a character like Spock was very unusual to some viewers. Here, Leonard Nimoy explains the character to Portland, Oregon's KGW host Connie Wirth in 1967. Basically, Mr. Spock is, uh, is a, uh, a product of a marriage between an Earth woman and a Vulcan male. A Vulcan is a planet outside of our solar system. And uh, he's uh, physically very similar to the human in anatomy, but his uh, psychological and emotional orientation are quite different. Gene Roddenberry reportedly had based the character Spock on his old boss, police chief William H. Parker, for his rational and unemotional behavior. Here, Nimoy gives guests of Universal Studios Florida tips on how to play a Vulcan from the short-lived Star Trek adventure attraction. The trick is to remove all traces of emotion from your performance. A Vulcan's actions are dictated by pure logic. Star Trek received mixed reviews, but gained a cult following that's still going strong to this day. Roddenberry wanted the show to have a progressive political agenda, to be what he hoped humanity would eventually turn into. On top of that, it's an important show because it was one of the first shows on television to have a multiracial cast. Here, Roddenberry talks about that in this Good Morning America interview from 1986. When I brought in a mixed-racial crew, both the network and Desilu Studios, which had it at that time, came in saying, uh, what are you doing? You're going to ruin us. And then when I insisted on it, then the advertisers came in, the agencies, and said, if you show this black girl as an officer dealing with white people on on that basis, you're going to be barraged with the hate letters and and, and whole uh, areas of the country are going to refuse to handle your show. And we often forget that's how the country was then. One thing that makes me love viewers is that we never received in 20 years one single letter of that kind. In late 1966... The show's popularity led to Dot Records approaching the show's producers about some sort of Star Trek album. At that point, the most successful records Dot had released were by Pat Boone and Eddie Fisher. Eddie Fisher's version of Sunrise Sunset peaked at number 22 in 1965. Is this the little girl I carry? Is this the little boy? According to the book The Musical Touch of Leonard Nimoy by Darlene and Joe Lacey, Dot Records sent studio executive Herbert F. Salo a proposal, to which Salo responded with the following memo. I think we should push any record company that wants to do an Outer Space or Vulcan or any other single record or album, be it straight dramatic music, weird music, Nichelle Nichols singing, Bill Shatner doing bird calls, or even the sound of Gene Roddenberry polishing a semi-precious stone on his grinder. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Want more Bizarre Albums? Sign up at patreon.com slash bizarre albums for weekly bonus episodes of the new spinoff, Bizarre Singles. Focusing on singles, not albums. That's patreon.com slash bizarre albums for bonus episodes and more. In June of 1967... Leonard Nimoy Presents Mr. Spock's Music from Outer Space was released on Dot Records. Highly illogical. Spock's album kicks off without Spock. It's a 60s rock version of the theme from Star Trek in instrumental sound. The Star Trek theme was written by Alexander Courage and Gene Roddenberry. Though the song is instrumental, Roddenberry wrote lyrics to the song. However, he never intended for them to be sung. He wrote them so that he could claim credit as the theme's co-writer and receive half of the royalties from the song, a move that understandably led to a falling out between Roddenberry and Courage. Here's Tenacious D on the Nerdist podcast in 2012 performing the theme song with Roddenberry's actual lyrics. Beyond the rim of the starlight My love is wandering in star flight I know he'll find in star-clustered reaches Love, strange love a star woman teaches And I know journey ends never his star trek must go on forever but tell him as he wanders the story she remember remember me alien was a spoken word track written by cy coben coben was mostly known for writing country music when Coben passed away in May of 2006, his obituary in The Guardian even mentioned how unexpected it was for him to have written this song. From the land of endless night come I, an alien from afar, spewn forth upon you a pleasant sphere, so much like you, and yet so unalike. Am I the you before, the you you were when your world was new? Or am I the you that you will be tomorrow? Through me you see your future or your past. I know not which. For I come from that spark of light so far in space, your mind the distance could not comprehend. 
Up next was a song written by a man Andrew Lloyd Webber once called the father of the modern British musical, Lionel Bart. Bart was the sole creator of the Tony Award-winning musical Oliver. Here, we get Nimoy singing for the first time on Where is Love from Oliver. Where is love? Does it fall from skies above? Is it underneath the willow tree? In a 1968 Voices for Vista interview, Nimoy spoke about how his singing career started, saying, Charles Green of Dot Records had arranged with the studio to do an album of space music based on the music from Star Trek, and he has a teenage daughter who's a fan of the show and a fan of Mr. Spock. She said, well, if you're going to do an album of music from Star Trek, then Mr. Spock should be on the album. So Dot contacted me and asked me if I would be interested in either speaking or singing on the record. I said I was very interested in doing both. Charles R. Grian was a producer and composer, possibly best known for his arrangement of Nat King Cole's The Christmas Song. Grian not only produced Nimoy's album, but also performs two of its instrumentals, a version of the Mission Impossible theme, as well as Music to Watch Space Girls By. Music to Watch Space Girls By was a new version of a song made famous by the Bob Crew generation in 1966. But the initial use of the song was actually for a Diet Pepsi commercial. You got the right one, baby. With 100% uh-huh. Though the record is credited to Nimoy, five of its 11 songs are instrumentals, and often when Nimoy is on the track, it's just spoken word. Like on Twinkle Twinkle Little Earth, which was co-written by Nimoy. Have you considered the possibility that on a star, the star people wish upon an earth? For example, earth light, earth bright, first earth I see tonight. Or twinkle, twinkle, little earth, how I wonder what you're worth. Sounds strange? Well, on Cestus Omicron 3, the all-time hit song is Earth Dust. Nimoy sings again on Lost in the Stars from the 1949 musical of the same name. According to the musical Touch of Leonard Nimoy book, Nimoy even performed this song live on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson when guest host Jimmy Dean was filling in. Yes, the sausage guy. This happened one week after the release of the album. Unfortunately, this recording seems to be lost forever due to the fact that less than 1% of The Tonight Show between 1962 and 1972 has been accounted for. Reruns weren't much of a thing back then, and old episodes were literally just recorded over. Hunted through the wide night air For the little dark star on the wind down there And he stated and promised he'd take special care so it wouldn't get lost again. The album ends with another spoken word piece, A Visit from a Sad Planet, which was actually released as a single, with the Star Trek theme as the B-side. The song ended up peaking at number 121. He told me that so far as he knew, he was the only living thing left, but that he knew he was dying. When I asked him, 
the name of the planet. He replied, we called it Earth. The album did make the charts, peaking at number 83. While that may not seem hugely impressive, he was also competing against the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the Monkees' Headquarters, and the Doors' self-titled album all at that same time. But the album did well enough for Dot to want more music from Nimoy, as he explains in this 1967 interview. The album is doing very, very well. I suddenly <laughs> find myself in the music business, you know, and, and they're wanting me to make more records. Uh, it becomes a question of what to do, what kind of material. I'm looking for material now, and I may possibly do some more. The album has been re-released multiple times. For some reason, a UK reissue in the 70s released it as Mr. Spock Presents Music from Outer Space, removing Nimoy's name from the title. In 1995, the album got another re-release, and this reissue also featured side one of the two sides of Leonard Nimoy, because yes, Nimoy released four more albums, all of them on Dot Records. But Nimoy wasn't the only Star Trek cast member to release albums. Also in 1967, fellow cast member Nichelle Nichols released an album of standards, and in 1968, William Shatner released his first album, The Transformed Man. But that is for another time. Thank you for listening to Bizarre Albums. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps people find the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Bizarre Albums, and I'm at Tony Thaxton. You can also like Bizarre Albums on Facebook and visit BizarreAlbums.com. And if you still want more Bizarre Albums in your life, sign up for weekly bonus episodes of Bizarre Singles and more at Patreon.com slash Bizarre Albums. And as always, if you know of a Bizarre Album you'd like to hear featured, please tweet the show. I'd love to hear from you. You can even email me at bizarrealbums at gmail.com. My name is Tony Thaxton, and I'll see you next time on Bizarre Albums.